You are listening to Sozo, a podcast designed to help students find meaning and purpose in their journey to become healthcare providers. Let's start the conversation. Welcome back to the Sozo Podcast. I'm John Shin. And I'm Susie Lee. And we are coming here for part two of our episode on performing for an audience of one. If you have not yet listened to part one, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that because it'll set the foundation for what we're going to be discussing here. And in our last episode, we left off on the question of do we tend to fall into the trap of performing for the world of performing for people because it's hard to find affirmation from God? Do we find it hard to please God? And is it possible to know that God is pleased with us? So in order to answer this question, I thought back to an example that I had from, from my own children. So I have two girls and a boy. And I remember for not this past birthday, but the birthday before that, my little girls wrote birthday cards for me. And I knew they were up to something that morning. They're hiding in their room. And when I walk by, oblivious to what they're doing, they would say, do not come into our room. We are not doing anything secretly. So please don't open our door. <laughs> and I said, okay, girls. And I'm, I, I don't suspect the thing. Okay. And make sure you tell us if you're going to come in. <laughs> and then... And so I chuckled to myself and went downstairs wondering what they're doing. And they spent a lot of time and effort on this. They're running downstairs to get stickers and running back up and saying, I hope you didn't see what I'm bringing. Not that it matters. <laughs> you know, I didn't see anything. Don't worry, Sophia. They're so sly. Yeah, I know. They're very covert. <laughs> I didn't suspect a thing. And I'm just chuckling the whole time thinking, oh, this is going to be so cute. And then finally, they come down the stairs just beaming and their hands are both hands are behind their backs and they're trying to act all nonchalant and and i'm trying to act completely oblivious like oh i don't even know that you're coming down the stairs <laughs> and then they come up to me and say <clears throat> daddy we have a surprise for you and i look at them and i say a surprise really i wasn't expecting a surprise at all and they look at each other and smile and say yes it worked <laughs> and, then, and then they say close your eyes so I close my eyes and they're like, one, two, three, open your eyes. And I opened my eyes and they both had their own handmade birthday cards oh, on display. So and they drew pictures of like me holding their hands and they're writing, you know, Appa, I love you. Appa is dad in Korean. And they're like, Appa, I love you. You are the best Appa in the world. <laughs> and when I read the card, there's some typos in it you know they spell world like w-u-r-l-d and and uh and the pictures that they drew weren't exactly to scale you know my legs were about four times as long as the rest of my body and um you know i looked at that i'm like wow that's a that's a really pretty little bird and like what kind of bird is that I'm like that's actually you appa <laughs> <laughs> so but my question is was I dissatisfied because these birthday cards had so many imperfections in them? Mm. Yeah. Or did I look at this and say, this is the best birthday card I've yeah. ever received in my life? Mm. Right? I took those cards and I said, these will be prominently displayed on my desk 
and I will treasure them forever.、Mm-hmm. Because I knew what they represented,、mm-hmm. I knew that my girls were, made me those cards as an expression of their love for me.、Mm-hmm. And because of that, it did not matter what they were able to do on their own, it pleased me to no end、mm-hmm. to receive their gifts. And that taught me that God must be the same way.、Mm. Because I knew that love motivated my, my children's actions, I was deeply pleased before I even read their cards, before I even opened it up to see what they wrote.、Mm-hmm. I, because I knew what motivated them, in my heart, I was pleased. So I have to believe that our desire to please God is what pleases Him.、Mm-hmm. And whatever you do, if you do it for His glory because you love Him, then guess what? You pleased Him. You pleased your Heavenly Father irrespective of the results. It, I guarantee you that your results will fall short of what they should. And based on heavenly standards, it is definitely lacking in quality. However, because you, you did the work with a heart to please your Father out of a heart of love for your Heavenly Father, the offering is pleasing in His sight and it brings a smile to His face, I believe. You know, your story with your daughters actually reminds me of when I was little. I was terrified of lightning and thunder. Like, <laughs> must, so sure, terrified. You're a very unique child. Yeah, so unique. <laughs> no one ever does this, you know. <laughs> But I remember when I was young, my mom used to comfort me and say, You know, lightning's not scary. You know, it's just God taking a picture for,、um, of you, so you better smile. <laughs> you know, smile big for God. And so, as, as a kid, I remember when there was th- thunder and lightning, I used to just smile real big and make sure I'm doing something good. <laughs> But yeah, like, although this is very unscientific and very false, <laughs> my heart to please God, I think, was, was there. And I think that's all that mattered. And even in Matthew,、um, Jesus commends the pure and simple heart of a child. And he says, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, Susie, I, I learn from my kids far more than they learn from me, I Definitely, feel. Definitely, yeah. And, and、mm-hmm. when I look at them and I look at the purity of their hearts and the purity of their motives、mm-hmm. and their desire to please me and, and to do the right thing, I can understand what God meant when he said that unless you become like one of these,、mm-hmm. you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But so when I look at the flip side, when our need for approval and acceptance are met by God, it liberates us.、Mm-hmm. It, we're no longer enslaved by the opinions of others because if our sense of significance and self worth comes from knowing that God is pleased with us, then we become emboldened in our work for the Lord because we're not dependent on trying to please other people. And our cup is already full. So we're not going around trying to fill this need from other people. So when you perform for an audience of one, For the right audience, which is your Lord, what the world thinks of you really won't matter anymore、mm-hmm. because God's opinion of you will be the only one that matters.、Mm-hmm. So, so far from part one of our discussion and until now, most of our discussion was from personal experiences and applications we've had. But I want to shift our conversation to what the Bible has to say about this topic. Is there a figure、um, like the disciples or Saul, like we'd mentioned before, where we can find a solution for performing for an audience of one? Well, Susie, the Bible is replete with examples, but if there's one person I'd like to focus on to find an answer to the question of how do we perform for an audience of one, what does that look like? It's the example of Nicodemus. 
I want to first turn to John chapter 3. And if you read verses 1 and 2, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And the question is, why did Nicodemus come to Jesus by night? What do you think, Susie? Well, it's probably he was not, I want to say probably he was embarrassed. I mean, he was a Pharisee and he was a man of power. And Jesus at the time was a very controversial person, you know, mm-hmm. no one really, well, I get, I can't say no one, but the Pharisees, the Sadducees and everyone who was, I guess, up in power in the Jewish community all didn't like him. Right. So for Nicodemus, who is high up there to come like ask Jesus for questions, I guess was very controversial. Yeah. If he was seen with Jesus, that would be scandalous. What a scandal. Yeah. yeah like, Did you see Nicodemus? Like he was talking to Jesus. And so, so that no one else could see what he was doing, Mm -hmm. he came by night. Mm -hmm. And this tells me just how much Nicodemus cared about the opinions of others and how much it affected him. But he couldn't deny the convictions in his heart that this man must be sent by God in order to do the amazing things that he's doing. Mm -hmm. So, So he has that inner compass that tells him this is the voice of truth. But then he sees that among his peers, among all the people who respect him and he respects, they haven't accepted him right. as truth. They don't share that. So, so he comes under the cover of night. And in John 12, verses 42 through 43, it describes the situation. It says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, so remember, it says Nicodemus was a Pharisee and he was a ruler of the Jews. So he was one of these rulers. So it says, Even among the rulers, many believed in him, Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Mm. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And so these rulers, of which Nicodemus was one, loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Mm. He was performing for an audience of men and not an audience of one. So Nicodemus was convicted by the words of Christ. And so he, he decided to seek his audience under the cover of night. And because to do otherwise, Um, If you go back to John 12, verse 42, it says, the consequence of being associated with Christ is that the Pharisees would make put them out of the synagogue. Mm -hmm. This is basically excommunication. This is a high cost. Mm -hmm. If you're excommunicated from the synagogue, you you have been ripped apart from the fabric of Jewish society and Mm -hmm. culture. You cannot participate in anything. Anything. Right. And you become a social pariah. Mm-hmm. So the cost is extremely high. We really can't find a modern day equivalent Mm-mm. because there's nothing in our in our Western culture like this. In Eastern cultures, you can still find things like this in, in Hinduism and Islam, mm-hmm. but not in our Western culture. So I don't think we can really relate to just how high of the a social extent. cost yeah. this would be. Mm-hmm. So by asking for a meeting by night, you know, Nicodemus was really trying to have his cake and eat it too, mm-hmm. right? So he wanted to assuage his conscience and say, okay, I know that Jesus is from God, so I'm going to meet with him, but I'm going to do it under the cover of night. <laughs> yeah. So he comes and the first words out of his mouth is that he confesses to Jesus that he believes that the teachings of Christ are true. However, he didn't want any of those beliefs to be publicly known mm-hmm. for the fear of what others may think. Mm-hmm. And my question is, do we do the same thing? Do we practice our faith in a way that no one will see do we save our faith for when we're in a church or 
surrounded by like-minded believers. Mm. But when we step into our workplace or, or when we're surrounded by non-believers, do we do our best to just blend in and make mm. sure that people don't know what our beliefs actually are? So the question boils down to, do we perform for an audience of men or an mm. audience of one? Mm. So let's be honest. The difficulty that many of us have with sharing Christ in the public arena, I believe it boils down to loving the praise of men more mm. than the praise of God. Mm -hmm. Because we care so much about what other people will think of us, we're afraid to let our light shine, mm. right? Well, that's such an interesting point because there's so many examples of the statement that occur every day. Uh -huh. I mean, I remember as a kid, I used to be so self-conscious about praying before eating during school lunch. <laughs> or even answering all the questions during like Sabbath school about the lesson, you know, uh -huh. like who read this? Or like, you know, they ask questions before the lesson. And even in the Bible, there's so many characters that we're worried about what other people thought, such as Moses, Gideon, and the lady with the two mites for offering. Mm -hmm. So contrary to that, there are many examples in the Bible where the Bible characters did not care for other people's opinions. Uh, can you think of any, John? Well, if I had to pick and choose, the example that I would use most is uh, the example of Daniel mm. and Daniel praying by his open window. And remember the story the other satraps and the wise men, whatever, they, they schemed to mm -hmm. make it illegal to pray to, to anyone pray. other than the king. Right. And they did it specifically to see what Daniel would do. And Daniel knew that this law was passed, and yet he knelt by his open window mm -hmm. and he prayed. If there was ever a time in human history when someone could have <laughs> made the argument that it's better to pray in the closet, it was then. Yeah. I, Daniel could have Definitely. very easily justified and said, I'm not giving up my devotional life. I am not going to stop praying. I'm going to pray in such a way that enables me to keep praying mm -hmm. so that I do it in the cover of my closet with mm -hmm. my window closed mm -hmm. so no one will see me. And that way I can live to pray another day. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't God want me to do that, to use my rational brain and to make sure that I'm useful for him by staying in my position of power behind enemy lines, mm -hmm. doing his work, but doing it in a covert way that allows me to live another day. Mm -hmm. So easy to justify that. And instead, he opens his window wide, as was his custom, mm -hmm. and he prays, couldn't care less what people thought of him. Mm. And all that mattered to him was the pleasure of his Lord. Yeah, and and I contrast that. I can relate to what you said, Susie, when you said you felt very self-conscious oh, about yeah. praying before eating. <laughs> I remember when I'm among my friends who are not believers, mm -hmm. we all sit down to eat and they just dive right into their food, obviously. Mm -hmm. And there are times when I try to mask my prayer by like acting like I'm reaching down to my bag mm -hmm. to grab something. So I dip my head down and I'm like... <laughs> You're just a blessed food, amen. Yeah, 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 real <laughs> quick. Up, right. Or, you know, like as I'm going as I'm going down to pick up my fork, you mm -hmm. know, on the way up, you know, I pray on the rebound. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we do all these things. What a difference that kind of behavior to what Daniel did. To Daniel, did, yeah. Right. And that's a rebuke to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I think the example of Daniel contrasts very much with Nicodemus and how he behaved. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, the reason why I wanted to focus on the story of Nicodemus is because of how his story ends. Mm. We can all relate with the self-consciousness of Nicodemus, especially for those of us who are pursuing a degree in the health professions, mm -hmm. where invariably this is higher education, so we're respected by a lot of people. Right. We hold positions of trust and authority, and we are trained from the beginning of our career uh, training programs 
to care deeply what other people think about us. Mm. You've only gotten here this far because you care what people thought, think about you. Right. And Nicodemus was in the same situation. He was one of the most learned of the land. And he got to where he was because he cared deeply about what people thought of him. But his story ends with a transformation. All throughout Jesus' ministry, Nicodemus watches from the sidelines as a secret follower. There are times when he helps Jesus' cause by foiling the um, ambitions of the Sanhedrin mm -hmm. uh, in a covert way, but he never comes out mm -hmm. as a follower, a public follower of Christ. There's really no mention of him again until Jesus dies on the cross, at which point Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, ask for the body of Jesus and give him an honorable burial. So this is found in John 19, 38 and 39. It says, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, interesting, right? <laughs> Who does that remind us of? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. <laughs> right? Birds of a feather must flock together. Mm -hmm. So this secret follower of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, right? but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Mm. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. Mm. So it's interesting here that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea team up mm -hmm. to very publicly show honor mm -hmm. to the dead body of Jesus. Jesus. So when Jesus died, something must have changed. And both of these men stopped caring what the world thought of them. Mm -hmm. And they became wholly committed. And we know this because asking for the body of Jesus would have attracted a lot of attention. Right. And then the care and the respect that they showed the body of Jesus would have made it clear how, how they felt about Jesus. Now, if there was ever a time when it made no sense to let it be publicly known that you were a follower of Christ, it was after Jesus died right. on the cross. Right. There was proof positive that Jesus' claim to be the Messiah was false, mm -hmm. that this was a false movement and that amounted to nothing. Because when when Jesus died on the cross, naked, humiliated, mm -hmm. you know, next to common criminals, people were frantically trying to disassociate themselves with him right. and to deny that they ever believed in him. Like, no, I wasn't singing Hosanna in the streets just a few days ago, saying, you know, <laughs> blessed be Long the name. The right, exactly. <laughs> I wasn't throwing my robes on the floor for him, his donkey to walk on. Right. I, I wasn't waving palm branches saying Hosanna. Right. They were all disavowing any connection to Christ. Yeah. And in this context, when the tide of public opinion had turned completely against Christ, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus walk up to Pilate and say, we want his body. This shows us the extent to which their lives were changed. Mm -hmm. And the question is, why? You know, when everyone was scrambling over themselves to disassociate themselves with Christ, if you look in John 20, verse 19, it describes that the disciples were hiding mm -hmm. in the fear of the Jews. Why did Joseph and Nicodemus publicly step forward to declare the love for Christ? What happened? Mm. You know, Alan White actually just like summarizes this transition of Nicodemus really well in the Desire of Ages, and I want to read a short paragraph. 
um, it reads, After the Lord's ascension, when the disciples were scattered by persecution, Nicodemus came boldly to the front. He employed his wealth in sustaining the infant church that the Jews had expected to be blotted out at the death of Christ. In the time of peril, he who had been so cautious in questioning was firm as a rock, encouraging the faith of the disciples and furnishing means to carry forward the work of the gospel. He was scorned and persecuted by those who paid him to reverent and paid him reverence in other days. He became poor in this world's goods, yet he faltered not in the faith, which had its beginning in the night conference with Jesus. Mm. That describes a 180 change. Yeah, so so change. Where he no longer cared about the opinions of of the world, mm -hmm. and as a result, he lost everything: his high standing, mm -hmm. his respect as a Pharisee. He became poor. In the he world's persecuted. curse, right? But he became rich mm -hmm. in Christ. Mm -hmm. And I want to read Desire of Ages, page 176, uh, paragraph two. This this book uh, does an amazing job of uh, mm. illustrating the life of Christ. And here on page 176, it talks about this moment. It says, "When at last Jesus was lifted up on the cross, Nicodemus remembered the teaching upon Olivet, as Moses lifted up the servant serpent in the wilderness." Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The light from that secret interview illumined the cross upon Calvary, and Nicodemus saw in Jesus the world's Redeemer. Mm -hmm. I believe that as Nicodemus saw how Jesus died, mm -hmm. how Jesus uttered the words of forgiveness, asking God to forgive the soldiers who were driving the nails into his hands. Mm. How Jesus, before he died, brought one more soul into the kingdom with him. And how he gave up his last breath and committed his spirit into God's hands. Mm. I believe that the scales of the world fell off from Nicodemus' mm -hmm. eyes. Mm. And his heart was set ablaze with a love for his Savior. And he said, there is the man that mm -hmm. I will follow all of my days. There is my Lord, my Master, and my Savior. And that love of Christ, that demonstration of a love so deep that his God would come down in the form of man and die for him mm -hmm. this way on the cross, I believe just completely shattered any desire mm -hmm. of Nicodemus to want the praise of the world. Mm -hmm. And that kind of love received from his God, I believe filled his cup so deeply that from that day forward, he no longer cared mm -hmm. what other people thought about mm -hmm. him. And he decided, I'm going to live my life openly to serve my God. Mm -hmm. Unless we have the same kind of experience that Nicodemus had, unless we look at the cross and appreciate just what Jesus has done for us in our lives mm -hmm. and the sacrifice that he made and the love that that represents, we will never be free mm -hmm. from our love of the world. Right. We will never stop clamoring for the attention and the praise of men. But the moment that we understand just how much our Lord and our Savior loves us, we will be free to truly serve Him, no longer enslaved by our desire to please the world. It's really amazing to see the transition that Nicodemus had in his lifetime, um, you know, before Christ died and after, and how much he had such a big part in actually like starting off the early church. Um, in closing, I want to read this little message, um, this little um, paragraph from Messages to Young People, and I think it does a really good job kind of closing this whole thought. 
it reads, In the history of Joseph, Daniel, and his fellows, we see how the golden chain of truth may bind the youth to the throne of God. They valued the favor of God above the favor and praise of princes, and God loved them and spread his shield over them. Because of their faithful integrity, because of their determination to honor God above every human power, the Lord singly honored them before men. They were honored by the Lord, God of hosts, whose power is over all the works of his hand in heaven and in earth beneath. And so the key in the lives of these people is basically that they valued the favor of God mm -hmm. over the favor and the praise of men. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I desire for us. And the words that Christ spoke to Nicodemus on that night, when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. My prayer is that everyone listening to this will recognize and appreciate that love in their own lives mm. and that you will allow that love to emancipate you from the love of the world, to set you free so that for the rest of your life, you'll be performing for an audience of one. Mm.